When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is not happy about recording at 9am on a Sunday morning. I'm Kevin Day, he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. 9am Kieran, it's my fault I know because I'm working, but 9am on a Sunday, recording <laughs> all the- According to the adverts, Kieran, the rest of the world are having breakfast in bed on a memory phone mattress accompanied by two perfect kids and a Labrador puppy. Where did, where did we go wrong? It's question. Where did we go wrong, Kieran, on the podcast described this week as the shipping forecast of football? <laughs> <laughs> Which, <laughs> we had a lovely message from a chap who was trying to, he was trying to describe to a friend what the pod was and his wife interjected and said it's the shipping forecast of football <laughs> I told I told Ali that expecting a bit of sympathy and she went well that's, that's about right yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the shipping forecast is an essential bit of kit Kira isn't it everybody yeah, needs I'm, a shipping I'm, forecast I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that I'm, I'm made up yes, I, I like the idea that chief executives of football clubs are tuning in at three o'clock in the morning just to see what way the wind is blowing in the football world <laughs> <laughs> it's questions day, Kieran. Um, uh, my first question is: How long will it be before Palace are finally above Brighton? Uh, uh, apparently, your manager is still one of the best in the country, despite the lack of victories to prove it. Um, yes, I, I had the joys of going to Aston Villa uh, oh, yesterday, cool. and I, I got back at one thirty a.m. Wow! Because really? um, it, uh, it it turns out that, uh, that we weren't the only football club uh, heading. Yeah, head, heading that way, oh. and uh, therefore on, on the routes back, uh, it, it appeared to be a dickhead's day out competition <laughs> um, run by a series of fans of various clubs who who decided to uh, take their differences with each other out on the train, um, oh, God, really? and, and therefore the trains decided, well, we're not going to, we're not happy about this, and we're just going to, we're just going to stay put until the the. the Till the old bill turn up, and uh, yeah, it was what, what a disastrous day. It was shock, oh shocking football, uh, cost cost of fortune because train prices are ridiculous, and, oh, and, and, and we lost. Yeah. So yeah, apart from that, it was great. Yeah, but I take solace, Kieran, in the fact that I I think most of those fans won't be listening to this pod. <laughs> I, I can't imagine the uh, hooligan accountant Venn diagram crosses over. I don't know. There might be a couple. Our first question today, Kieran, it's questions day. And our first question comes from Jack Diath. And Jack says, I have a question regarding a TV advert. Um, that's, that's probably subconsciously what put it in my mind to ad lib that deliver uh, that introduction. Um, I have a question regarding a TV advert for Deliveroo during the Euros, which I can only describe as Tyrone Mings, Jack Grealish and co doing keepy uppies in front of a katsu curry, <laughs> uh, which was probably the pitch that the advertising company did. You see, it's basically Tyrone Mings doing keepy uppies in front of a katsu curry. <laughs> we'll have it, says Deliveroo. Um, as England has a sponsorship deal with Deliveroo on their training gear, is this advert likely to be part of that deal? Or are they paying extra to feature England players? Likewise, I guess the players are getting paid for this, but is the FA getting extra for letting their players and kits appear? Also, some of the more high-profile England players don't seem to be in the ad. So I'm guessing the players had some kind of right to refuse. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a right to refuse, but what the Football Association will say to commercial partners is that we can offer you, let's say, three tiers of advertising product. And tier number one, we can get you Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, you know, some of the really high-profile players, then we'll drop down. And this is no disrespect to the likes of Tyrone Meigs, given especially that he scored a goal against us yesterday, mm-hmm. um, uh, who who won't be 
as uh, as familiar to perhaps non-football fans, and therefore people mm. go, "Well, you know, who, who's he?" Uh, whereas Harry Kane, England captain, and so on. So um, they they will offer them uh, tiered products. Um, it's I think it's unreasonable to expect all you know twenty three members of the England squad to turn up to every single advert. So it's a case of just trying to to allocate your resources. Um, and, and the 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 players will have that as part of their contract with the FA. I mean, the players are absolutely brilliant in the sense that their match fees for many many years now they've they've donated to charity, but mm. they 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 are paid for for other aspects of of their uh, relationship with with England, um, and they and clearly they are entitled to a share of of the proceeds. What what you will also see. Um, and, the, and this is where the England kit comes in and the England badge is that you will see individual players during the either the World Cup period or the Euros period, they will be advertising products themselves. But when you see Lionel Messi doing this and when you see Cristiano Ronaldo, and he's been doing one recently that appears all the time on Sky, um, it's that uh, they're wearing neutral shirts because mm. the clubs will say, if you want Cristiano Ronaldo in a Manchester United shirt, we want a share of that as well. Cristiano's representatives will say, well, actually, we'd rather all the money go to him, so he'll just wear a, a generic white Nike football shirt or something like that. So I'm guessing if you've got Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, Harry Maguire is going to be around about Tier 6, Tier 7, I would guess, because the, the advertisers will be going, we, we don't need a bloke who doesn't smile. He's, he's, he he could do the keepy uppies in front of the Katsu Curry, but he needs to look cheerful. The only time he smiles is when he's scoring goals against Albania. Um, Chris yeah, Solomon, and, and, and then he question. runs off. He, yeah, sorry, yeah. Then, then his, he then he runs off to tell the fans how great he is by by cupping yeah. his ears. And I thought that that is potentially going to come back to bite you in the bum. Didn't realise it was going to be as quick as it did, though. Yeah, I'm happy, very happy to bite Harry Maguire in the bum. Uh, normally, I'm very I, well. Now, that sounded wrong, didn't it? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I would, I wouldn't be too happy to actually buy anybody in the bum. Yeah, but metaphorically, let's move on. It's nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. Yes. Um, uh, I doubt if the BAFTA people are even up this early to listen to this, which makes no sense because well. it's going out on Monday morning. <laughs> uh, Chris Solman says, um, hello, Chris. Chris Solman says, I was wondering what financial rules, if any, govern the amount to which fans can inject cash into their club. Now, as a, a trustee of the foundation at Crystal Palace, I found this question very interesting because uh, he said, I recently heard that Dundee United Supporters Foundation, where fans can subscribe for £15 per month and get a vote on how money is spent. In May, the foundation accepted the club's request for £100,000 to support it after the financial effects of the pandemic. The second time they've donated this amount of money in the last year, theoretically, could this money be used to increase the transfer budget or pay wages? And would the rules in England allow it? Now, I think it's an interesting question, Karen, but also if the Dundee United Supporters Foundation are able to stump up £200,000 in a year, then they are doing a sterling job fundraising because I know from experience that that is a lot of money for a foundation to have in the bank. Yes, I mean, that's an absolutely superb effort. You know, £15 a month, uh, £180 a year, you know, on top of your season ticket. So you've got to give a huge amount of, of credit to the uh, to the people involved in the foundation and also to the individual fans involved. As far as the use of money, um, there there are many, uh, many instances of, of clubs, and you've, you've done yours at Palace, and we had one at Brighton, which was, you know, I think it was, you know, a, we, we were trying to raise money when we were at the arse end of League Two, um, and we had various whip rounds, and that money was kept in a separate bank account by the supporters uh, association, and then the club said, "Can we use it?" And we said, "Well, we want it specifically to sign a player." And they signed a player called Rod Thomas, who who was fantastic for half a dozen matches, and then had a, had a spectacular red card, and all went all went slightly wrong. So, so as far as this money is concerned. Um, the club, the club fans are a they they're perfectly entitled to, to to generate that money. Yes, they can gift it to the club. They can gift it to the club with conditions as well. So, you know, we say we don't want it to go to directors' pay. We don't want it to go in dividends. Um, we want to see this ring fence for capital projects. Um, 
and, and the transfer budget and wages can be part of that. And did the club ever pay that money back to the foundation? Do you know, uh, Brighton? Um, no, no. I mean that money. You know, it was it was it was there to to sign the player and pay his wages, and he he sort of drifted off on a uh, on a free contract, from what I recall. So hmm. yeah, there was no money to to, to come back. Um, and, and I know certainly from talking to to other people at other clubs, you to a certain extent you give it in good faith, or quite often that the the club will come to the supporters trust with the equivalent of a begging bowl to say, look, the directors have got no money, we've got wages to pay in a fortnight, we're screwed. Can you do anything? And then. Sort of, yeah, to a certain extent, there's an element of emotional blackmail because if the mm. fans saying, "Well, yeah, we, okay, we've we got thirty grand in the bank account," the club potentially could go bust if we don't do this, um, mm. and, and you end up handing the money over. <clears throat> yes, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because I imagine the foundation—I I don't know—it's a supporters' foundation, which is slightly diff- different to club foundations. But I, I imagine it wasn't set up with the aim of giving money to the club, rather, but rather to to help the local community. So I'm not sure whether people would donate money thinking if they thought it was just going to go to the club when the club was in trouble. Yes. I mean, and, and I think presumably there would have had to have been some, uh, again, you, you know, from your own experience, there would have had to have been a board meeting. Mm. Um, is this, first of all, is this within our constitution to, yeah, exactly. to give this money to the club? Um, in terms of what we've seen over the course of the last couple of years, We've been in the middle of a, a global uh, health issue. Um, football clubs have not been able to generate revenue themselves. Therefore, um, you know what, what the what the supporters' foundation may have said is that we are in extreme extreme times, um, and, and therefore we're willing to to donate money on that basis. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. By the way, uh, for those people who are wondering about their spread bets on whether I could get to four shows in a row of a hangover, uh, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, it's the funeral uh, later uh, this week, and the Irish family started turning up last night uh, in Dribs and Drabs. I don't know why they couldn't all come at once and have done with it, but they've decided to do it uh, in rotors of three at a time. Um, I say three. Drunk enough for thirty three, but there you are. <laughs> Apparently, that's what he would have wanted. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> uh, a question from Jeff Sullivan: um, Was it ever revealed how much money Real Madrid paid Everton for Carlo Ancelotti? I haven't seen it anywhere, but I don't know where to look. <laughs> well, Jeff, welcome to my world. <laughs> Every time I do, I think I'll, I'll do some research this week. Now, well, where do I look? I don't know. I, I, I could Google things, but nothing seems to come up. How does Kieran know this stuff? So, yeah, where would he look for a start off, and, and what's the answer to the question? Well, the the place to look will be Everton's accounts um, when they are when they are published, uh, because normally there will be uh, what's referred to as an exceptional item, which will and it'll be it'll be worded in management speak, so it will be something like you know, compensation for transfer of, of senior staff. Um, and therefore, that figure is likely to be given there. It is certainly uh, you know, when when Everton uh, sacked Marco Silva, for example, in the accounts, the the cost of of sacking him was six point five million pounds, um, which which was quite good for somebody who hadn't been there very long. Um, I, I, I have ferreted around. I've, I've gone to some of the the Spanish uh, websites. Um, and use Google Translate, which isn't uh, is, is, isn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be. It was to a certain extent. Yeah, my hovercraft is full of eels. Uh, types of comments, um, but uh, th- th- there appears to be a body of thought who take the view that there was a uh, there was a a, a uh, clause in his contract which. Uh, allowed him to go to e- I don't know if it was either just Real Madrid or a Spanish club or whatever for five million pounds. Now it also appears that um, Everton weren't over impressed with the degree of progress that the club had made um, under Carlo Ancelotti. You know they finished twelfth last season, and given that he was on eleven million pounds a year. Um, at, uh, at at Goodison, they probably took the view that if if we can 
move him on, that could actually save us a lot of money because he, he had some more more years remaining in his contract, um, and we'll get some compensation as well. So it actually worked out for all parties. Uh, I, I, there's a couple of takeaways, as they say, in my industry from that answer, <laughs> Kieran. A couple of takeaways here. First of all, I'm very sorry to hear about your hovercraft and the eel problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti was getting £11 million a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. £11 million, And it cost Everton £6.5 million to get rid of Marco Silva. Yeah. That's... That's jeez. That's why this pod isn't it. I'm astonished by those amounts of money. Okay, I mean Marco Silva wasn't a particularly a manager with a huge reputation when they got him in the first place. It, was an, it wasn't a, an appointment that Everton fans were taking to the streets to celebrate, and they had to pay six point five million pounds to get rid of him. Yes. We're, it's astonishing. <laughs> so I want. We're, so how we're, much we're in the wrong business. <laughs> we certainly are in the wrong business. Well, we're. we're we're in the right business, Kieran, but we've got the wrong producer. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> if only the bloke who's in charge of Everton was producing this pod, we might be we might be better off. But I, I, I find that astonishing that Everton are throwing that sort of well. Oh, Ever- Everton are. are throwing money around like crazy. You know, oh, that, well, that's yeah. that's why they can't sign any players anymore. Because um, in the first uh, four or five years under Farhad Mashiri, they spent over a half a billion pounds on players, and people were going. That can't be true, and I've, I've got the spreadsheet and I've got the accounts, and even I, even I went and went back and checked my numbers. Um, wow. it's astounding! I mean, you know, they've, they've got some of that money back, of course, but uh, uh, yeah, they, they, they uh, under the new ownership uh, regime, they have been uh, very generous in, in many ways. But well, the irony of that is they then go and spend nothing on Andros Townsend, yes, um, which Everton fans complained about, and so far he's been one of their best players of the season. Yeah. Um, Fraser Adamson. Good morning, Fraser. Uh, he may not be listening to this in the morning. So I, the time is no is a meaningless concept, Kieran. It's like a Terry Pratchett novel. This pod sometimes time is just all <laughs> over the place. Uh, Fraser Adamson's question: In the summer, a German investment group took control of Dunfermline Athletic, as we discussed at the time. Yeah. Dunfermline are in the Scottish Championship, and this surely cannot be a money making investment. Can you shed some light on why? This would appeal to them. We sort of discussed this a little bit when it was a, it was happening as a rumor, but it's it's a very fair question because if they are uh, an investment group, it doesn't seem like they were going to make a lot of money out of Dunfermline, does it? With all due respect, yes. And I mean, Dunfermline were originally a community owned club. Uh, this company, DAFC Football. Uh, came in and they bought 30% of Dunfermline with an option to buy a further 40. I think they've exercised that option. Um, trying to work out where the potential is is, is difficult. In 2019, which is the, the last year uh, in which Dunfermline were operating in a non-COVID environment, they, they lost 700 grand in the year. They, they get they get decent crowds, you know. They get four thousand, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, which which is which is certainly decent by by championship standards. Um, so, where is the potential? Um, it could be from um, one of three areas. First of all, they get promotion to the Premiership, um, and they they get the benefit of you know who coming to town three or four times a year. So the, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the big Edinburgh clubs, they get the, the big the big Glasgow clubs, and that has a, a very positive impact, uh, A, on matchday income, and uh, B, on hospitality around the ground. Um, all that doesn't affect DF. So so it could be that they feel that they, they can accelerate the club to the, the, the premiership and, and make a bit of money there. And if we take a look at those... No disrespect to those other clubs in the Scottish Premiership. Um, I've I've always been impressed by the fact that they they effectively say we cannot compete uh, in terms of wages and transfer fees with Rangers Mm. and Celtic. So we won't, and we'll 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 have a break even model or aim for a modest profit. Um, So so that could be one of the approaches taken by DFC Football. There is a view, uh, and we have seen um, quite a few clubs in Scotland uh, behind uh, a, uh, a management consultancy investigation into uh, increasing the revenues within the game. Sc- Scottish football generates £2 million a year from its international TV rights. And mm. I think there's a lot of people who say, well, well that's, 
that's not very good. Um, yeah, my view is on the face of it, perhaps it doesn't seem very good. But if 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 I was a German TV executive or a Indonesian TV executive, would I be willing to pay for rights mm. for Scottish football? So you know, we you know, I. I I, I, I look at the Spanish highlights on the BBC website and a couple of others. Would I be prepared to pay a subscription for them? No. You know, who, who is prepared? So yeah, I'm, I'm not actually sure that there is a market there. Um, so that would be. And, and then the third issue, and this is always a fear, and, and, and there is no evidence. I've got not, you know, football clubs are property assets. So mm. I, I would hope that there would be some form of golden share still held by the uh, Dunfermline sort of supporters trust or whatever it is which which gave them some power of veto in terms of are there going to be any property related assets? But yeah, other than that, I'm 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 with uh, you yeah, know I'm, I'm with uh, I'm, I'm with the writer of the question, uh, Yo Fraser, that uh, uh, it it does seem intuitively a very strange investment, but we are seeing a lot of money coming into Scotland from overseas, certainly a lot from the US. Um, and and Germany as well, but uh, yeah, trying try, trying to work out the trying to fathom out why people want to buy football clubs is 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 always a tricky one. You had a brief three second glimpse here, Kieran, of what it's like inside my mind when you you desperately reach for a phrase like the writer of the question because you can't remember who's asked it, <laughs> even though it's written in block capitals on a screen in front of you. <laughs> on, on, my, on my mind map. Yes, on your mind map, <laughs> which is mainly in your mind. Uh, and as you've, as you've said before, mainly off air, let's not delve too much further into what else is in there. <laughs> um, yes, Dunfermline fans, if you want to get in touch with us about whether there is some kind of uh, – Golden share that would be interesting because yes, it's yes. A very attractive. It's a very attractive part of the world, and you can imagine that the ground would um, uh, the would make some money if they would were to try and sell it for housing or whatever. Uh, and also, the writer of the next question, Kieran, uh, could get in touch because I've been speculating as to what his nickname would have been at school. Um, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's Matt Plant. Now, obviously, if he was a footballer, is we know what his nickname would be. It'd be Planty. But uh, uh, Matt, get in touch and let us know what your nickname was at school. And this is a question, Kieran. I know you've you've been waiting for this question. Oh yes, it's a proper accountant <laughs> this question. Is, this is this is Christmas a month early. <laughs> it is, isn't it, for you? Happy well, happy happy Christmas, Kieran. You deserve it. <laughs> this is this is from all of us. Matt Plant's question is: Ignoring growth on the capital investment, which club owners take the most financially from their club? Either by dividends, director emoluments, or commercial contracts with associated companies. Right. Well, I will give a potted answer to Mr. Plant. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about come on, that, that, if that doesn't win a BAFTA. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, just imagine the BAFTA bloke going back to his mates and going, oh, it's supposed to be about football, but there's a hovercraft, <laughs> which apparently has got eels in it, and there's, there's some half-assed puns about one of the names of the bloke. In the yeah. <laughs> and then and then they both forgot the name of somebody else. <laughs> we are so professional. <laughs> <laughs> and then they giggled about how shit they were. <laughs> um. Right. I I, I will uh, answer uh, Matt's answer. Matt's question in in order in the sense um, in terms of dividends, um, this is uh, this this is a, this is a there is no competition in this one. Step forward, the Glazer family. Um, the the Manchester United has paid a total of three hundred and eighty eight million pounds in yes. dividends to owners over the years. And they are due to pay another nine million pounds. Oh. Um, just, just uh, you know, keep, keep people ticking over uh, early in January. So uh, Manchester United are are, are way ahead. Um, in terms of interest to owners, so there's there's quite a few owners out there um, who have lent money to clubs on, a, on an interest free basis. But uh, from what I can make out, um, I think West Ham here, um, their owners. Uh, they've they've generated around about twenty million pounds in interest, and in terms of the directors' salaries, 
uh, and I've had to go back all the way to when he was first appointed in 2001, which meant getting up quite early for this one. Um, step forward, uh, Daniel Levy at Spurs, who has uh, has earned £38 million uh, as, uh, as, a, as a director of, of that particular club, including you know, various bonuses for, for the new stadium and so, and so on. Emoluments, Kieran, is a lovely Dickensian word. What, what, how would you define it, though, for the likes of me? I mean, I, I kind of know what it means because I'm clever, but does, does it have a specific financial accounting uh, definition? Well, emoluments are all of the rewards that are given to an individual. So it's effectively uh, going to be your salary, your bonuses, and benefits in kind. So, you know, do you get a company car? Are you in a health scheme? You get free access to a, a gym and so on. So, so it's 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 salary plus benefits. Hmm. The, the Glazers don't look like they've been inside a gym anytime <laughs> recently. But says Mister Pot about Mister Kettle. Um, you now we always love a question. Um, I say we. Kieran always loves a question about specific clubs. <laughs> Is that Finley? It's, it's Finley. He's, he's not had a walk oh. as well. I got up early. Oh. He's, he's not had a walk and now, and now he's, he's come that's, a whimpering. That's the most heartbreaking sound effect I've heard in my life. God, I love him. Is he doing big brown eyes as oh, well? Oh, yeah. He's got, he's got his chin oh. resting oh. on my knee, wagging the oh. tail, and, and, and the eyes have gone the full. Uh, oh. Yes. Finley. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that, you know, I'm, I'm interpreting that whimper. Can I meet Uncle Kevin soon? I love Uncle Kevin. Um, yes, so we always love, Kieran always loves a question about a, a specific club. And this one comes from Cam Reeves about his team, and that's Burton Albion. And Cam is curious as to how they are performing financially in the past year or so. Our owner, Ben Robinson, has always tended to run the club very well. However, surely the past year has been tough, of course, particularly with sacking a manager and having a full squad overhaul under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank in January. What would getting relegated to League Two have done to the club, particularly because we don't have a, a huge fan base? It's a, it's an interesting question, but I mean, it's... I think I've mentioned this before. Burton are one of those teams that Palace fans are desperate to get in the FA Cup because we've never played them. Um, it's also it's also further north than everybody thinks, but mm. it's it's not a club that we we mention often because it seems to be a club that sort of chugs along. Small club, as as Cam says, but it seems to get along quite well. It, it still seems a bit odd seeing them in the in the actual football league. But how are they doing? Um, as as a uh, as a poster boy for sustainability, I think they're absolutely fantastic. Okay. Um, they they aim to break even. Um, they were in the championship uh, a, a few years ago. Yeah, they were. And, and, and when they were there, they took the view of we're we're not going to try to live beyond our means. Their their transfer spending was modest. They were paying in the championship an average of three and a half thousand pounds a week when the the average in the division as a whole was 14 and, and there are clubs you know on wow. paying players far far more than that um so it's and, and ultimately if you think about it there's only there there's only a limited number of jobs in football so what and there's far more people that want to be in football mm. than, than there are jobs available so why can't clubs just turn around and say no to unreasonable wage demands because mm. if everybody did that then, then you'd have sustainability uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, in, in terms of the 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 club's means of uh, not racking up huge losses. But it's because somebody always always breaks. You know, somebody always takes an easy option of saying, "Well, he's, he's quite tasty. I'll give him an extra ten grand a week," and then everybody follows that. Um, but uh, Burton have not gone down that particular route. So, so they, I think they have been. Um, uh, very, very good, uh, and you know, hats off to uh, to Ben Robinson for the approach that that he's undertaken, and the fans buy into that as well. Yeah. And I think you know, if you have good communication between fans and owners, or fans and the board, and, and here, you know, I'm, you know, and Andy Holt is absolutely brilliant. He 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 says to the fans, "This is how much I'm willing to subsidise the club this year. I'm not going to put a penny more in." 
I'm going to still try to do do my level best to ensure that Accrington stay in League One. Ideally, have a you know a decent season. You know, at, at times then they're knocking around the the, uh, the the places for the playoffs and so on. And come along and enjoy yourself. And and the and the people of Accrington and the fan base uh, rightly uh, you know tip their hats to Andy, who who you know is one of my heroes. And mm. uh, they 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 buy into that. Whereas at other clubs, and I think this is this is particularly an issue in 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 the Premier League, the the, the solution to everything is spending money that you don't have, um, mm. and and that's also uh, you know part of the reason why why the championships in such a pickle at present. Um, you know, and, and there there will be things that will come out the the fan led review that's due for publication later this week, um, and it'll be interesting to see what what's in there, but. Just saying no is actually quite cathartic, um, and is a way to run a sustainable football club. So, if, if Burton's uh, finances are you know, practical, realistic, what what would getting relegated to League Two have done to the club? Would it not have that much of an impact then, because they they run the club sustainably anyway? Well, what will happen is that they will reduce their wage bill further. I mean, uh, in terms of the impact of relegation, um, the broadcast income is likely to fall by around about four hundred thousand pounds. So, yeah, you know, that's that's a significant uh, you know, amount of their revenue, and and also match day revenue will fall as well because in League One, League One's now full of you know. Bit, you know, Sunderland, teams, Pompey, yeah. Ipswich, yeah. Charlton. Yeah, you know, there's there's plenty of clubs with big fan bases there, um, and and that's not the case in in League Two. So so they would have to take a hit as far as um, their wages are concerned. But looking at the club, it it does appear to be um, have it has players on relatively short term contracts. Potentially, there will be relegation clauses embedded in them, um, and everybody knows the score when they sign for the club. So I. I think it will be a hit in terms of revenue. It won't necessarily put the club into financial distress because Ben Robinson's not that type of guy. He will he will have mm. you know he will have modelled upsides and downsides in, into the into the wage structure. Having said that, though, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank can't have come cheap, can he? Um, I, I think he I think he will be on less money than than people think because remember really? he, he was at Burton. He went to QPR and that oh. didn't work out, and then he came back to Burton. So, you know, there 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 are some there are some uh, managers that are on far less um, money than people realise. Um, I'm aware of a uh, of a manager of Leeds United, uh, and there've been a lot of them over the course mm. of the last decade, who who was on 250 grand a year. Yeah, and we're, we're talking Leeds United. Wow. But he needs to get himself to Everton if he wants some <laughs> yes. proper money. Um, and in the spirit of asking people to reach out to us, as we have been doing this morning, perhaps Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank would like to get in touch and tell us how much he gets paid. <laughs> you never know. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Sam Rowland. Hello, Sam. Sam Rowland asks us this. Could you tell me why cases of players being too expensive to move to certain clubs seem to be becoming more common? Some cases I can think of, including uh, Bale and Ozil, whose high wages have anchored them at clubs years beyond what anyone wants them for. Also think of players like Mbappe, who the PSG president said will never be sold or let go for free. How have football transfers become so difficult, or has this always been the case, but the financial numbers involved presently are just bigger? Um, I think I think the issue is that football has become more of a gamble, 
And uh, you know, one way of securing a seat uh, at a gambling table is, is to put a lot of money into it. So with respect to uh, both Bale and Ozil, when they were signed, everybody thought it was a fantastic signing for the club, remember? Yeah. And, and when people feared that they might leave the club, the club went back to the player with the, the complete support of the fans and said, we're going to give you an extension of a contract with a big pay rise on top of it. Um, and and you know, when Ozil was playing superbly for Arsenal, he, he was a magnificent player. And, and Gareth Bale is is still a magnificent player for Wales. Indeed, and, yeah. and he scored. I mean, I, I was uh, you know, I remember watching the the the, uh, the Champions League final when he scored those goals uh, against Liverpool. Yeah, they they were. He, he was on fire that night, and mm. um, and therefore you you reward those good moments. And then, you know, due to loss of form, personal issues, whatever it happens, the player, the player's form goes or falls off a cliff, or he falls out with the manager, and then you are left with a huge, expensive legacy. It's, it's to a certain extent, it's, it's due to the Bosman ruling because. Mm. His, if, if if we didn't have the Bosman ruling, and I'm in favour of the Bosman ruling, but if you didn't have it, clubs wouldn't be so concerned about a player getting to the end of a contract and walking away for nothing. So what they're now doing is that they're, they're upgrading those contracts again and again, which is fine, provided the player's form is maintained. Once that player's form begins to decline, you've then left it with this awkward situation of, We've 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 broke the bank in order to secure him for another two years. He's only half the player he was, so therefore nobody else is interested in him at that wage wage level, and he's going to stick around. Uh, yeah, Manchester City were were famous for it, and yeah. and yeah, Chelsea. I, I only realised that uh, yeah, you know uh, players like I can't remember the name now. Players like uh, Joe was at Manchester City for about three or four years, and he was no nobody knew he was there. He was just being loaned yeah. out, and, and nobody knew about it. Um, there's uh, you, you've got players like Danny Drinkwater at Chelsea, who again I, I didn't realise that he was still on their books, still their books but, yeah. but I but I, I am aware of his salary, um, and I and I, I fully understand why why nobody's willing to else is, is nobody else is willing to pay it. So you, yeah. you have that scenarios. On a similar note, Tom Yeomans has asked one of those questions that again I love because it's something that. Uh, we talk about all the time, a phrase we use all the time, and we've never actually defined what it means. As Tom says, I always hear the term transfer listed or available for transfer when people talk about certain players, but is there actually such a thing as an official transfer list where a club will list a player or if it's just a number of players commonly known as available for transfer between club agents and officials? Well, um, I'm lucky I was able to go to our, our good friend, Jonathan Booker, um, and he says, as far as he's aware, there isn't an official list of players available for transfer. However, the PFA does have a list of players who are out of contract, which clearly is slightly different, who mm. are members of the PFA, and also um, a list of players who've been released from academies. Um, now, you know, but he says that he, he thinks they exist, but, but you know, perhaps this was a question I could have asked uh, Maheta um, last week uh, when he was on the show. Um, and, and also the transfer list, that is also a, a legacy term. Um, oh. A list of some clubs have of players that they want to sell, are prepared to sell or want rid. Um, they are not formally available but here whatsapp is our friend <laughs> because there are whatsapp groups of sporting directors managers ceos um so you know it's it's not official but uh there are ways and means of finding out and you know it, it involves just you know a few calls to the right people um so you know a, a good manager a ceo or a sporting director will normally work proactively with with the player's agent if the player is surplus to requirements as as far as the club is concerned you know it, the, it, 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 your face doesn't fit at, at, at some times and you know I've, I've, yeah. I've had that at times in my career I'm going uh, and you get called in and and, and they're, they're they're just encouraging you to start to look for a job elsewhere mm. um 
and, and I think that's and he said, and Jonathan says this is especially important with younger players, lower profile players, and so on to to try to to try to be sympathetic. And there are many many good foot people in in the football industry who might say, look, you know, we're we're a Premier League club or we're a Championship club. Realistically, you're not going to break in. You know, I know that we signed you. Uh, because we thought that you were going to progress, things haven't quite worked out, and they will then try to to manage the the exit to to allow this young man to to have a career in in the industry. And there are plenty of those. There's there's a few there's a few managers there's a few people in the game who are purely looking after themselves, but they are actually in the minority. I'm sorry to hear your face didn't fit. Sometimes, Ken, I have this very sad image of you being called into the back room of a Brighton sex shop and saying, oh, Kieran, I, I, I don't think the porn industry's for you. Try try accountancy. Although, yes, when it comes to WhatsApp, I like the idea of uh, every Monday afternoon a, a WhatsApp group of Premier League club CEOs going, did you hear price of football this morning? I don't know. Eels? What was that about? <laughs> um, and also speaking of WhatsApp groups, there will be many, many people on WhatsApp groups, uh, some of them called away travel, um, who will be interested in this question. And it comes from Matthew Rogers. Uh, Matthew says, I'm a Liverpool season ticket holder who finds it impossible to get tickets for away games due to the current loyalty programme. Therefore, I have to watch our away games on TV. What I can't understand is why the Premier League is not planning to show all games on TV ongoing, especially after last season when they did this so successfully. Surely they are leaving money on the table in advertising and TV rights packages. I don't think the old argument of it affecting lower league attendances is credible anymore, considering the number of illegal streams available. It seems like prohibition to me, especially considering you can watch every game abroad. Um, it's an interesting because it, I think what a lot of football fans or you know casual football fans don't realise is when they when they see you know, they go oh there's a lot of Brighton fans in that game or there's a lot of Palace fans in that game they're the same fans for the most mm. part if, if you know there were three thousand Palace fans at Burnley yesterday two thousand nine hundred of them go to every away game so they get the points which means they can keep going to the away games so a club like Liverpool will have thousands tens of thousands of fans who go to every home game but can't get a ticket for, for the away games. And and I think Matthew's got an interesting point. Why is he not able to watch every game without having to resort to an illegal stream? It's because club owners have have voted for that to a certain oh. extent. Um, I think they there is a historic concern that away fans won't travel um, if every match is made available. Uh, there is still the... Three o'clock blackout. Uh, in yeah. terms of you can't you can't uh, show matches there. Um, would would I have gone to Villa yesterday if I could have watched it free effectively for nothing? Um, well, if I'd known what our performance was going to be like, uh, <laughs> if, I, if I had foresight, um, then yeah. But you know, to the and, and I'm not whinging here, but the you know the, the cost of a train journey and car parking was eighty quid. It was thirty yeah. quid for a ticket. We went for a curry afterwards. We're in the pub beforehand. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not getting I'm not getting changed from two hundred pounds for a day out. Yeah, um, and you know, no whinges. You know, nobody's forcing me to do it. But if I could also have had a few mates round, uh, you know, order a pizza, watch it live on TV, that might have been fact. So I think there there is an issue for for some clubs in terms of will there will have an impact on away fans. It won't affect Liverpool. It won't affect Manchester United. They will always sell out their away allocation because you know they are they are clubs with huge fan bases. Um, I, I think Matthew is right to raise the issue of the cartel in terms mm. of loyalty points or way points. Yeah, you know, I know uh, some fans of big clubs in the Premier League, and they they will be a group of twelve of them, and they will have. Six tickets for away yeah. fans, and they, and yeah. and what and they always apply so to keep up to keep up your loyalty points, um, and they then and they will allocate it. You know, they'll go on a rotation basis, but it is the same old faces, um, and also because um, yeah, because demand exceeds supply. Some, some you know, if if it is 
going to no disrespect to to Southampton or Brighton or or you know some of the other clubs who who you know we, we are not great places to visit to in terms of the reputation of the club in in terms of the history and the heritage of football and so on um then then some of those clubs will end up in uh, in in third party hands and you know uh, the the issue of touting and tickets is is something which isn't really addressed by the industry because mm. uh, you know they're, they're trying to get thirty, forty, fifty thousand people into a stadium in in half an hour before a match kicks off, and uh, you know the stewards if they if they checked all the details of people turning up with a ticket, um, there, there would be huge queues. People would be kicking off. You know how Larry it can get before a match, um, you know, and and people get waved through. I often wonder if clubs, particularly in the Premier League, realise how much horse trading goes on in terms of loyalty points and away tickets on various WhatsApp groups. Because okay. you know, there's you know the WhatsApp group I'm part of, the Palace fans WhatsApp group. I love them all, but you know, we can't. It's very rare that all of us. There's about fourteen of us on the group. That all of us can get tickets for the away game. Uh, Finley, if you're listening, there's one more question to go, and then. Daddy will be on the beach with you, and your ears will be streaming in the wind. Like I've, I've ad- sent you a photo of him actually, looking very really? forlorn. So, uh... oh, bless him. Well, he's got that sort of face. He always looks quite forlorn, doesn't <laughs> yes. he? He's not. He's not a smiley-looking dog. He's a lovely dog by the look of him. I've never met him. So. <laughs> <laughs> Our last question, Finley, comes from Mitchell Heath. Um, one day. Kieran will take you for a walk on Mitchell Heath. If you're <laughs> How many times has Mitchell heard that in his life? Apologies, Mitchell. But Mitchell Heath um, is a long-suffering fan. He's a lifelong Coventry City fan. Um, I'm talking, that was, that's a brilliant away. That used to be a lovely away day. Yeah. The Rocket in Coventry, fantastic. Uh, as a lifelong Coventry City fan, I wondered if there are any in-depth details around the new 10-year rental agreement for the Rico Arena, for example, rent, share of match day revenue, ongoing court case stipulations, etc. Let's hope it's the last time we are made to play in a different city before CSU actually decides whether they are building a new ground or not. And I, th- I think Coventry fans, they they deserve a, a special mention, don't they, in dispatches because they've really. It's not been easy sporting Coventry in the last few seasons, has it? No, that they've been put through it, and for people not familiar. With Coventry, um, they were acquired by a, a hedge fund called Sisu, who trying to work out their motives was again challenging. Um, I think it became fairly clear fairly quickly that it was property related. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were not the uh, they were not the owners of the stadium, but they were trying to become the owners of the stadium at a relatively knockdown price. Um, so, in 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 respect of Mitchell's specific question, um, there's no details as yet. I mean, they they were paying around about £1.3 million a year um, at the RICO, which I, I believe is now called the Coventry Building Society uh, Stadium, which doesn't exactly uh, flow uh, off the tongue. Um, so, so that's that's their that's their rental costs. Um, they in in the most recent accounts, they paid £1.1 million to to rent at uh, Birmingham, it, it would appear. Um, you know, and that's a lot of money well, yeah, coming out of a, you know, a smaller uh, degree of uh, match day revenue. So you know, they, that, that was a tough year that they had. Um, so, so that's all that we do know. I believe that there is a, there is a break clause in the 10-year uh, agreement. And um, on, on, on the back of that... <laughs> Um, so there, there, there is a break clause. He's now opened the door. He's got to consult. Um, he slammed it then, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Sorry, Kieran, carry on. Um, so uh, Sisu have spoken about a a stadium at Warwick University, which which yeah. isn't uh, isn't Central Coventry. So you know, uh, uh, as somebody that supports a club. Who who have a ground which is next to a university? You know th- that's not great. Uh, it's, it's 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 imperfect in in terms of the logistics of, of transport. But some you know if, if it's if it's better than the alternative, then you take it. Um, so 
that they are committed to 10 years, but I believe that they would be able to walk away from the rental agreement uh, if they commit themselves to a new stadium and, and, and they're, they're in a position where they can move into it. But the, the actual fine print of the details, um, we won't really find out very much until the accounts are published. Yeah, and, and anyone interested in the history of football should have a look at what happened to Coventry in the 60s when Jimmy Hill took over. Uh, Jimmy Hill, as older fans will know, was a, an ex-player, quite a radical ex-player. He was responsible for uh, ending the minimum wage system back in 1961, I think, maximum wage or other, um, and, and did some remarkable things at Coventry in the 60s, including my favourite, which is laying on a disco train for away games, <laughs> which, I mean, it was a brilliantly 60s thing to do, but you, you, got on a, you got on a special to go to the away game and there was a disco on board. But they were a really forward-thinking club yeah. back in the day. And now they end up, you know, you had that brilliant almost city centre stadium, Highfield Road, and they ended up with this. I mean, a friend of mine was a Coventry City home and away fan went to his first game at the Rico and never went again because he just said this is not this is not Coventry it's not Coventry City but it's it's a club that's been hard done to yeah but a club that for its size was an amazing almost again to use that word radical club and and of course there was a time in the in the Premier League when they were their annual relegation escape was a was a joy to behold, <laughs> it was, basically. It was. Unless it was you, unless it was your club that rent down instead. Um, thank you to everyone who asked a question today, and thank you to everyone who's made a donation to the pod via our Patreon site. <laughs> That's gone from whimpering to barking now. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell, which I suspect may be a short one because he's got an antsy dog. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, th- thanks for all the support, gang. Um, if you want to support us in a non-Patreon way, uh, if you go to the subscribe button on the Apple Podcast, and if you can give us a review, could give us five stars, doesn't matter what you say. Apparently, it's the stars that matter, but it helps us from a business point of view. You could you, you could even say you'd rather it was you'd rather it was presented by Jim Davison and Greta Thunberg, and, and we don't <laughs> care. We don't care. And, and, and personally, I would listen to that. I would listen to her. She would eat, eat Jim Davidson alive. Odi- <laughs> Odious <laughs> little man. He's a, whoa, don't start me on Jim Davidson. Greta Thunberg, well done. Go, keep going. It's brilliant. Um, thank you, everybody. Uh, take care. We'll see you again on Thursday. Bye. I'm for the